the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I've been thinking about sort of a Christmas message these days, you know, with so much going on, so busy, life is so hectic in everyone's lives. You know, I'm at the stage of my life where my children are, um, my oldest is 19, uh, 19, yeah, 19, and then down 17, uh, 15, and uh, 11, going to be 12 in a uh, month or so, and very busy. Very busy, like everybody. But I got friends and colleagues that their children are really young. You know, while you hear um, Ryan Hyde, our communications director, his his children are you know down younger, and and there's a different uh, kind of Christmas thing. And then now friends and Kamason Mohan, our own um, newly he's newly wed, and his family's just about to start. Everybody's in different spots, but you get to the spot you're in, and it's where you are. And I've been thinking about it for Christmas. Because, you know, like everybody, how do you keep the focus on Christmas on what's happening, you know, on on the truth of of the incarnation and in this also crazy time with politics? Right. We're turning the calendar into 2024 and eh, pretty legitimately, it feels like this one is a big, big year. Um, We don't know what's going to happen. Really don't know. And then and then on top of that, laid over the top of that is a social media thing. And, and then the, the, the hangover from covid where people are still sort of recovering socially and, and interrelated. So a lot. Of, how do you keep the focus on uh, your faith and on uh, Christmas? And it's a challenge. It's a challenge. One of the things this year that we did better than we'd ever done is way ahead of time. I don't know why my wife and I in the summer looked at the calendar and said, how can we plan for Christmas and get scheduled some things that will make a difference in terms of putting our minds into the spirit of the, of the season, which we never do. We, we've never planned. It's called planning ahead. It, it may have been because of our daughter being away at college. We suddenly realized when she comes home, you only have a window where you can see her. And so you better do stuff together as a family and plan ahead. And, and actually, last summer, we did that to make sure we had a, a family vacation. Uh, but in this case, for Christmas, we looked at the calendar and we added into the calendar and went out and bought tickets. We bought tickets to um, the Nutcracker um, at the uh, at the, the Kennedy Center, which is a big production. Um, we went we bought tickets to A Christmas Carol uh, performed at Ford's Theater, the, the famous theater where Lincoln was assassinated, had been a very vibrant theater uh, before. That's why the president was there. And also it went into um, a disrepair for a couple of decades after uh his murder there, but then it became a, a museum, but also became a theater again and very active. And so we went and so we did the, these two events. And then within our church community, we, we had a couple of different um, 
events. Uh, one uh, was a, a Christmas drive uh, for food for, uh, um, you know, a, a poor people and, and gathering food. And and uh, the kids volunteered to be a part of that. And then we've just made it a point of trying to do more uh, with the uh, with our church. So we kind of did it. But here's what I want to tell you. We kind of did it um, in the sense that um, the, the, the we, we did we, the Nutcracker was early in December um, and like the first day or first second day that our daughter was home. So maybe not early. Maybe it was like the 10th or 11th of December. And then the a Christmas Carol was around um, the 20th or so. I can't remember exactly. But both of them did a wonderful job of kind of, we had to get dressed up nice. We had dinner at home. We didn't go out to dinner, but we had dinner at home, but we'd, we'd have dinner early at home in both cases. Well, in the case of the Nutcracker, dinner early because it was a seven o'clock show. In the case of the um of the uh, Christmas Carol, we went to a two o'clock showing uh, and we then went and got pizza on the way home from that. But both of them were wonderfully done. Both were wonderfully done. And I mentioned the uh, volunteering at our church, which the kids actually really had a good time because they had had some new have some new friends there. And so and, you know, the oldest, our daughter is always uh, she's she's always looking to meet Mr. Wright as a church groups are good ones. So she was she was energized. Anyway, we we somehow did it. And I was late to put up Christmas lights because I hate Christmas lights. That's another story. So that that didn't that wasn't the festive part. My favorite part of the Christmas lights is a few years ago, I bought one of those um, cutouts, wood cutouts. uh, And it's a cutout of um, Santa uh, kneeling before the baby Jesus. You know, that image that you see so popularly. I love that because I love the idea of in the Santa fervor. Actually, my wife put me onto it. My wife, that's her favorite image uh, is the is because in the fervor of Christmas, it makes you you crazy um, to see the commercialism and we fall into it. We have more stupid gifts that keep coming and my wife keeps ordering and these kids have everything under the sun, but here we are. Um, and that's, so I love that. That's the only lights I like. So we're late with lights that didn't matter, but somehow we did it where we were, we've all been thinking, we all were thinking about Christmas and about what it means. Now over the top of that was uh, uh, my wife's one of her good friends facing a serious health issue and my parents and my wife's parents. So my in-laws being in their eighties and uh, my dad turned 80 this year. Actually, my mother will turn 80 next year. My in-laws are a couple of years older than that. And realizing that, you know, um, time is uh, finite when it comes to people like that in your life. And so somehow we kind of got this. And what I want to tell you is I want to make an argument for scheduling these things that are valuable whether it's the Nutcracker, Christmas Carol, uh, participating at your church, schedule them into your life as a way to uh, beat back the frenetic quality of, you know, social media and streaming and all these things, because it is frenetic. It's wild how fast and nobody's nobody's immune from it. You could say, well, I don't use my phone very much or I, I monitor my kids usage. Fine. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the pace of life. The pace of life is frenetic. And so this Christmas, I keep thinking about this, slow it down. And the way to slow it down counterintuitively is schedule stuff, schedule stuff, put them in your schedule. And so that's my pitch uh, to you. That's my uh, lesson learned. And that's my uh, uh, kind of encouragement. The other thing, the other lesson similar is we do this prayer call every Friday, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles Prayer for America. It's at 10 a.m. Central Time. And you know what? When you schedule it, prayer, it, it it's another part for me. It's another part of my whole week. I'm thinking of that prayer 
I'm thinking, who's got prayer requests? Who can I, uh, you know, a couple days before the most recent prayer uh, call, I had a conversation with a friend of mine. She's an extraordinary woman, and she's starting a, um, a university to teach science. She's a scientist to teach science and, and to teach it from an explicitly Christian tradition not and not separated and not secularized and not driven away. And she, anyway, extraordinary lady. She's waiting on accreditation and she's been thinking about it. And she said to me, will you pray? Will you pray for it? And I said, yeah, you bet. And I've been thinking about it. So and because I had the prayer call scheduled, it says every week, 10 o'clock central time. I thought that's coming and I can put I can put that into my life as a focus and it works. It works really well. So feel free to join us, by the way, put that if you want to put that into your schedule. I'm we I'm scheduling it for you. We run it out of the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles uh, uh, programs and you can easily come in there, you know, every every Friday or every other Friday or every fifth Friday. We're there every Friday at 10 a.m. Uh, Central Time and uh, just email uh, me or Ryan or uh, Mason and we'll get you the information so you can join in. So that's my point. Now, are you ready for the blow you away insight that I came away with on this? The reason, the reality, that's better, of God sending his son to become man in the incarnation, this miracle that's at the heart of Christ's birth. It's not just that a really great baby was born and a really great baby was born and had a really great life and gave us a lot of great teachings. That's not what happened. What happened was God sent his son, became man, the incarnation, God as man. He, he came down to be like us. Exactly like us, except he's also God. And that's a mystery, right? It's a mystery that's often a challenge for people to uh, figure out, to contemplate. But here's the key. It didn't happen in a book. It didn't happen in a theory. It didn't happen in a movie, a made for TV movie. It wasn't a tweet or an X post. It wasn't a, a sub stack. It was in time, in time in history, in the history of us uh, today is one day tomorrow's another day i'm in time i'm in history what happened was one day there was not god as man and the next day there was it happened in time there was a, a man who is god who lived for 30 plus years and walked the earth in time just like us which makes our time so special what makes our time not just you know something we have to get through to get to heaven or to get to our fulfillment, however you want to understand what what uh, unity with Christ would be in heaven or, you know, in, in salvation. It's we are granted. We are in time precisely as an echo of the incarnation of God becoming man, which is why scheduling things. For me to, to do these events that point us, you know, this church volunteer thing I mentioned that was so wonderful, Christmas Carol, the Nutcracker. I didn't think I'd like the Nutcracker, by the way. The first act was pretty terrible. I thought too busy and crazy. The second act was all these extraordinary gifted um, uh, dancing moves. I didn't think I'd ever like it. It was wonderful. It was amazing and very spiritual is the wrong word, but very soulful. Amazing. So schedule it. And when you think about the holiness of the day of the holidays, the holy days, think about what a gift they are in time because, not because of God's goodness to us, that's true, but because he sent his son to be among us. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, not was around other people, was thoughtful, was among us. That's my message for this Christmas season. Be right back.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest, he was uh, reminding me off the air, it was almost a year ago that he was on the program. He is an author of a book. He's the author of a book, uh, Political Migrants, Hispanic Voters on the Move, How America's Largest Minority is Flipping Conventional Wisdom on Its Head. Um, we shall see. I'll ask uh, Jim Robb is our guest, and we'll see what he thinks going into the presidential election. But also, he was recently down at the border, and as this crisis of the border becomes, I think, more and more pre- present to people, um, the, I think the perspective, people are getting frustrated. So welcome, sir. How are you? Welcome back to the program. Jim Robb. I am, I am swell, Ed. It's, uh, it's good to be uh, at Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve. <laughs> yes, right. right. I guess that's yep. what this day is. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty exciting. The air is crisp and nice in Washington. And, <laughs> and I'm excited to talk to you about what I saw um, at the, the Texas-Mexico border last week. Yeah. So first, before we get to that, we'll come back to it. The book um, came out uh, a year ago, year and a half ago. And how is it received? How, you know, when you have a book like that, I think people utilize it as a, okay, now I know someone I can talk to about what's happening. Are people, um, are, are voters really on the move? Hispanic voters on the move? Is there, do you sense that it's actually, they seem to be polling differently, meaning that they're more open to different candidates, but will that, does that mean they're going to vote differently? Unquestionably, they are on the move. Hispanics have been started off in, in, well, let me, let me just set it up just a little bit more. Hispanics are recently in America, right? So it's not like African Americans who've been here for hundreds of years. This is, this is a people whose most of them and their forebears arrived since 1970. So when I was born a long time ago, there were only 5 million Hispanics in the United States. Hmm. But uh, as of the 2020 census, Ed, there were 62 million Hispanics in the United States, and it's by far America's largest minority group. So what they think politically and how they're going to vote matters a lot. Uh, right now, of the 62 million, you may be surprised that two thirds were actually born in this country and are natural born citizens. Wow. And, yeah. Isn't that something? And of the others, eight million of the others have already they came legally and have already obtained citizenship. Hmm. So the great bulk of Hispanics are potential voters in this country and every election more are voting. So how are they going to vote? So in in uh, for Obama, it was one thing that drove the, the Republican Party into an absolute panic was that Hispanics did not vote heavily for um, from uh, Romney in right, uh, right, right. 2012, they voted only, tw- I think, what is it, 25 percent, 27 percent voted for Romney and the rest voted for Obama. Well, so that was a lot of cause for concern for sure. But Republican uh, leaders panicked over it and began to switch thinking, oh, now we've got to have an open borders policy and an amnesty in order to placate these Hispanic voters. Right. And, so that's why they pushed the Gang of Eight bill. As you recall, you were very involved in that and helping mount the opposition to that bill. And of course, Numbers USA, my employer, was the primary organization stopping that bill, that giveaway bill right. that would doubled immigration into the United States and had a massive general amnesty for every illegal. Well, the problem was all of this was based on a misreading of the facts on the ground. First, all, half the 
people who are now eligible to vote, half of the Hispanics now eligible to vote in, in presidential elections, were not eligible to vote in 2012. They're coming of age in great numbers, more getting citizenship. So that was like a lower group and t- to some extent a different group. But uh, also Hispanics have always had a strong conservative component. Mm-hmm. But when they with their early political leaders in the United States uh, allied themselves with the Democratic Party. So that was the sort of uh, that was the uh, 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 an intuitive first move by them. Uh, every immigrant group for the last 150 years has started off largely voting for Democrats because Democrats court them, right. get the rhetoric, et cetera. But a lot of them are religious and conservative. And what's happened in the last several elections is that those who are the most religious and the most conservative have started realigning and voting with the Republicans. So in in um, uh, Trump's first election, I believe he got uh, 28, 29 percent of Hispanic votes, which was more than Romney. Everyone was amazed. They thought he'd get nothing. But actually, uh, many Hispanics uh, were attuned with his rhetoric, especially on stopping illegal immigration. And get to that in a minute. Uh, but by the time his second election came around, uh, people who were skeptics of, of what we're talking about thought, oh, he's going to get less votes this time. No, he actually got 37 percent of the Hispanic vote. And then in the the 22, uh, the 22 election we just had a year ago, or uh, he got uh, or the Republicans got 39 percent of Hispanic. Yeah. So it's creeping up, creeping up, creeping up. And my polling with Rasmussen indicates and this. I talk about this in the book. But yeah. My polling indicates that it's the most religious and conservative of the Hispanics who are just sort of coming home to the party that's more friendly yeah. to religious types and conservative types. Well, so, I, I, yeah, yeah, I often I, I, I think that's right, Jim, because I, I, I'll end up running out of time. So I want to cover two or, or three quick things. One is to encourage people, go to numbersusa.com. Tons of stuff there. And I buried that lead, Jim. I got excited and I stopped saying, you know, uh, uh, Jim Robb is one of the senior guys there, vice president there at uh, Numbers USA. A lot of great work there. We're, I'm a big fan. Phyllis uh, Schlafly, my old boss, was a huge fan. And uh, we appreciate you there. Uh, tell me about the board. Tell me about the border, though. And tell me about the border with this in your head, Jim. If you're looking at this and you're saying a lot of um, American Hispanics, the American citizens, the voters are saying the policies of the Democrat aren't working. Some portion of them are also saying, hey, that open border thing, that's not how we got here. That's not the system we went through. But tell me what you saw, first of all, at the border, please. Well, I was down at Eagle Pass and everybody. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody has seen on cable news or on X or on whatever their preferred media is, have seen these these great uh, sort of uh, armies of people marching across the border, getting uh, the 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 Aiden Cabello, the citizen journalist down there who's behind the lines in Mexico. We met him and and talked with him. And uh, he told how the Mexican police are helping the the illegal immigrants, the would be illegal immigrants. Uh, organize themselves into parties that are manageable and getting them to wade across the the Rio Grande River, which we saw on Eagle Pass. And uh, on the day we saw the we were there the whole day on the bridge where all the media are. And you've got those bridges and the river there. Uh, we saw probably a thousand people cross and get and they just patiently waited for the Border Patrol to wow. get groups and then put them on these big white buses and they take them to a tent city, which we saw outside of town. And in that tent city, they gave him a hot meal and an order to appear before a judge sometime 
um, sometime in, in, in the far future. They were giving uh, orders to appear as far as 2031 this week. Oh, so, wow. Of course, that's Biden, crazy. No one will have, remember to to go or, or or and many of these people. Most of these people have no claims for asylum, really. They just say the words that lawyers give them, and they're coming here for a job. And, of course, since we haven't yet bothered to mandate nationwide E-Verify, they can get a job. Right. Uh, Jim, Jim Robb is our guest. Jim's book is Political Migrants, Hispanic Voters on the Move. How um, uh, excuse me, Political Migrants, Hispanic Voters on the Move. And then the subtitle, How America's Largest Minority is Flipping Conventional Wisdom on its Head. What is the impact? I started to ask you that. I, 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 I wanted to hear first what you saw on the border. It's, it's extraordinary. Um, but what's the impact on Hispanic voters? Uh, you know, in other words, I, this is always everybody's everything's anecdotal, but I have a brother in law whose family moved here from Brazil when he was six or seven years old, and he's now 56 or seven, and they they all became American citizens. And they hate how uh, illegal immigration has transformed uh, immigration. Is that, uh, is that, does that impact voters when they see this lawlessness? But we have a a polling partnership with Rasmussen. Uh We've had it for years. And, uh, the, the, the our enormous polling of Hispanics. I mean, thousands are interviewed every year for on our behalf, and uh, they hate it. That they, they, Hispanic right. voters right. despise illegal immigration because it's it threatens them more than any other group. First, right. it makes them bad. Right. So people, so they're afraid people will look at them, see that they're Hispanic, and say, "Oh, are you illegal?" Right. And, you know, it's so unfair. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, no, it is. It is. It is. Uh, Jim, I did something terrible. I asked you a really important question at the end and I'm out of time. So I but I've got to go because I get yelled at by uh, the radio people. Go ahead. Yeah, Yeah, we'll do it. We will. And thank you. Uh, Remind me, Rob, uh, Jim, because Jim, Rob, you're excellent at this and especially uh, coming at it again from your book, Political Migrants, um, how Hispanic voters on the move uh, inside the numbers is what's interesting. I think it's going to be an important, uh, really important um, discussion this uh, coming 2024. But I've got to run. I'll take a break. Ed Martin here on the ProMark Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report and uh, continuing our conversation and trying to uh, understand and uh, and cut through a lot of the uh, nonsense on what's happening over in Israel and what Hamas is actually doing. Uh, and our next guest is a uh, the CEO of a company. He's a filmmaker. He's an actor. His name is Elon Shulovich, and he is um, particularly uh, insightful in my estimation. I've seen him uh, with Tucker Carlson. Um, and he's uh, active on what's happening in Israel and cutting through, just like I said, through uh, what is um, uh, what is happening, what's going on and why Americans should care and should be paying attention. So, sir, welcome. First of all, uh, welcome to the program. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. No, it's great. So and I know you've like I said, you've been an actor, you're a businessman, all kinds of things. But uh, what's first? Let me ask you about the um, um, how do you 
talk to us about the way things are covered, the way the media uh, tries to cover things. The It's easy. It's a little glib. It's, I sound like a high school or a college kid, like, you know, moral equivalence. They try to make one thing look like the other. You know, uh, uh, an accidental shooting look like, uh, you know, a, a, a terrorist uh, a ravaging. Right. So but but it's but it's but it's potent. Yeah. Well, so this this goes back f- way before this October 7th massacre. Yep. Uh, that, the way they've used headlines, they've been using the term militant for years. I mean, you go back to the, the what they called the Janine massacre, where they claimed bodies were piling up and it turned out to be a complete lie. Right. Uh, right. They've historically done this. I don't know if you remember the Turkey uh, flotilla to Gaza, which, you know, inflate, inflamed things in the region entirely. But they were literally cropping photos the news mm-hmm. uh, and they've been caught Reuters has been caught editing photos. They've had to fire people, the top news organizations in the world. Uh, and we even learned in this situation that they have, you know, journalists embedded with Hamas, these different news organizations, which is just so troubling to see, but there's an, an extreme bias, an extreme, extreme bias in the region when it comes to reporting. But what is it? What is the what what underlies it? You, usually you can look at something and you can say, I mean, is it just plain old hate? I mean, usually you can look at it and say, oh, there's the money that's driving this. There's the uh, there's the, um, you know, the uh, media spin, you know, I don't you know, or the uh, when it comes to Hollywood, where you have uh, thrived as a, an actress. I mean, you you know, it's it's all sorts of commercialization, sexualization, whatever you want to do. What is it that gets you to this point where when it comes to Israel, is it just good old fashioned bigotry? I think it's a combination of many things. I do think there's an underlying anti-Semitism, sadly, in the world, especially it's much stronger in the Middle East and Europe. It's tremendous in the Middle East. It's tremendous in Europe. We're seeing that. But it's even seething here in the United States. And it's driven a lot nowadays. And and Jews don't talk enough about this. I'm a Jew myself. And we've sadly supported the wrong people along the way. It's coming from the left Mm -hmm. uh, and these leftist organizations that have relied heavily on identity politics. And the news is adopting that methodology, knowing that that's who they're catering to. They're getting engagement by being inflammatory. Um, and, yeah, I think a lot of money also is driving it. It's, it's a combination of all those things, which just leads because, again, it's been going on for decades. When you see the narratives in the 70s is around when it happened shift from Israel being the oppressed to the oppressor. The left completely abandoned them since then. Uh, and it's just been a downward spiral. That's continued on and on and on where they've uh, they've just continued vilifying and demonizing just entirely based on Israel's the oppressor. Israel's the oppressor. Israel's the oppressor. And so long as they do that, there's no accountability for Hamas, terrorists, anyone to do uh, anything. We're talking with uh, Ilan Shulovitz, uh, Il- Shulovitz, who's uh, again, an actor, CEO, filmmaker. Um, you know, one of the questions I was bouncing back and forth with one of your team and talking about this interview, and they said, you know, be sure to ask about why Americans need to be vigilant. And let me sharpen the, the question a little bit. Hamas... And and is not you know it's not a name of a, a sort of club like the JCs or Kiwanis. It's uh, you know for Americans sometimes I think we're sort of numb or dumb uh, to the truth of what's going on. Why, why do Americans need to be vigilant? Why is it so important to understand this threat that Hamas is it, it poses? Look, I understand Americans' desire to see everything kept in-house. You know what I mean? To see us focus on everything going on here first. The reality is, though, that Hamas is not an organization that is secluded to just Israel, and that it's not just Israel's problem. There is an ideology in the world that is spreading, that is extremist in nature. They don't... the, The notion that they hate us because they hate Israel is false. They hate Israel because they hate us. They hate secular way of life. They hate Westerns 
Westerners way of life. They hate freedom. They hate that they do not have, we do not have Sharia law and that we have independence here. They want to destroy us. That is the same as ISIS, the same as Hamas, the same as Al Qaeda, the same as Boko Haram. It's why you see mass slaughterings for the past century from extremist ideologies. It's not isolated right now. In Congo and Sudan, there are villages being wiped out by ex- extremist jihadis. You see it in Yemen. You see Sunni Shia violence escalating. These are not ideologies that are limited to just Israel. They're coming to our door. We've become very naive. We've forgotten 9-11. Uh, and it's very, very troubling to see just how insulated Americans really believe we are. We're not. Our borders are insecure. People are coming in at high rates. And so this ideology is spreading. It's spreading to the United States. It's spreading to Europe. And Israel is probably the biggest chance to stop it because it's right there in the middle east and it's our essentially our only ally in the region if we lose that i mean it's very very troubling uh well it it, it seemed like with uh with um with uh president trump there was a growing uh sense that some of the traditional enemies or at least rivals uh, in the middle east were uh, willing to be play nice yeah. with each other, right? They were willing to to be uh, to stand down a bit, especially vis a vis Israel. And, and it seems like that was something those of us that supported Trump thought, well, this is a huge success. It, was that a reality? Is that all gone now? Are we seeing some I, of those players holding back a little bit in terms? I well, know Iran's not, but I mean, are the others at least staying out a little bit? I think the Abraham Accords, I think this entire October 7 massacre was driven by by Saudi Arabia almost making a deal with Israel. And so Iran needed Hamas to attack now. They've been planning it for for years in the hopes of stopping the Abraham Accords from moving forward more, um, which is something that people aren't talking about. Uh, it's one of the most significant steps forward, what, what they did there, Trump, uh, did to essentially... Uh, limit extremism in the region. It would have it would have disempowered Hamas. It would have disempowered Iran. And now, of course, this put a halt to it. But it also those same countries still do see a foreseeable future aligned or at least having peace with Israel, uh, because their best interest is still to make Iran a less powerful state. Uh, and so you do see, especially I think behind closed doors, I'm sure Israel's still getting tremendous support from those Middle Eastern countries in terms of just keep doing what you're doing. We need you to, because they don't want Hamas in their countries either, by the way. That's why the entire Arab world is is not opening their arms to Palestinians right now. There's so much extremism embedded in that region that they just can't afford to. Uh, again, our, our guest is uh, Iran Sulritz, and uh, um, he is uh, uh, CEO. He got you might have seen him on Tucker. I looked it up. It was a couple of years ago now, where he received an award there. He's he built a, a business uh, in honor of his father. Uh, got a lot of attention, but now here commenting, especially on what's going on throughout the world. One also a successful actor, and and gets uh, has navigated that. Which is my last question: How do, how do you survive Hollywood? I mean, you're well known for being uh, more concerned. Not necessarily. I don't know if you're conservative on a bunch of issues, but um, can you can you is it as hard as it seems to navigate Hollywood? Yeah, of course, I've lost many jobs. I mean, in the end of the day, I always say this. I got into acting and all the things that I do because I like expressing myself, artistic expression. If if I'm going to be in an industry that forces the opposite, which is self-censorship, then it's not worth it to begin with. Right. Um, and so I've just always been vocal. And of course, it's cost me many jobs. But I think now the world's shifting. You're starting to see groups like you know, all these different, these different platforms that they're starting to make, including Salem, Daily Wire, Angel Studios, they're all making movies now. Um, 
And I think that's really important because it gives people like me an opportunity to keep going, even though we're going to be completely banned from the mainstream. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Well, listen, thank you for coming on with us. Uh, where can people go to learn more? I mean, I, I hope you're planning on writing a book. I mean, you're, or maybe uh, finding other ways. Where can they go to learn more about what you've been talking about and support your work? Well, everything's on, uh, you know, all the, we put a lot of videos up oddly on my watch company's website, Eggard Watches, E-G-A-R-D Watches.com. We have a lot of videos about American values there, and uh, we're going to push the podcast there more. So that's a great place to follow us. Great. We'll make sure to do it, and uh, I'll put that up on our social media, folks. And uh, uh, thank you very much, sir. Thanks for the time. Thanks for being out there as a voice and uh, not always easy, as you mentioned, in terms of your own career. So we appreciate you uh, doing it and speaking with us. Have a great day. Thank you. All right. Um, very good. Uh, again, I'll, I'm glad I asked him at the end there. I'll make sure I get that website. It's not in my notes. It will be for his company that he started uh, such a success. So we will take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com and sign up there for my writings. And also visit com where you can see all the writings of our great organization, including John Schlafly's weekly column. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Democrats' goal of censoring Donald Trump was embraced by an Obama-appointed federal judge named Tanya Chutkin in Washington, D.C. Judge Chutkin imposed a sweeping gag order demanded by the politicized prosecutor, Jack Smith, that muzzled Donald Trump as he campaigns for president. Chutkin's gag order was designed to censor Trump from criticizing Jack Smith and his partisan prosecutors, from criticizing any of the court staff, including the judge, and from criticizing any reasonably foreseeable witness or the substance of their testimony. The prosecutors could seek to hold Trump in contempt for anything he says that might be interpreted as a violation of this gag order. In layman's terms, the gag order sought to prevent Trump from being Trump. And that is unconstitutional for any court to do to the front runner for president during a reelection campaign. No safeguard was put in place to prevent Biden, the Democrats and the media from exploiting the gag order by relentlessly ranting against Trump on the same topics that he was prevented from addressing. Ads run by rivals immediately began to black out the airwaves while Trump and his campaign was wrongfully prohibited from rebutting them because the gag order further censored all who act under Trump's direction. Late night leftist talk show host Jimmy Kimmel quipped that the gag order shut down Trump's ability to criticize even him because Kimmel is a potential witness. After all, Kimmel joked, I don't know about you. I saw the whole thing happen. Despite what Kimmel would have you to believe, this is more than just a joke. The ability of a leading presidential candidate to speak freely is foundational to the electoral process. Even if a candidate could theoretically navigate the murky waters of what is and isn't speech covered by the gag order, every partisan reporter on the campaign trail would hound the candidate with a relentless torrent of unanswerable questions. And every time the candidate even says that he can't answer a question because of the gag order, he comes across as weak and jeopardizes a charge of contempt anyway. No, partisan attempts to censor Donald Trump are intolerable and they should be treated as such. 
This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we think it's time to take Washington back from the power brokers. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're organizing a grassroots movement to stand against the deep state bureaucrats who control government. For the latest strategies, go to phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let me rise uh, in defense, wait for it, of the media, of even big media, because I am usually critical of big media and the narrative machine, so-called, how the narrative machine is shaping what we believe is true, what we know. Uh, Of course, uh, big media working with big tech and big government, that's the narrative machine. You have to add in there big business. Uh, Someone told me it's a four-legged stool, not a three-legged stool. I think they're right. Uh, The narrative machine, big business, big government, big tech, and big media working together. Well, Big media every now and then in the form of someone like the Wall Street Journal does have things that actually sound right and honest and honorable. And that is the case in a recent uh, article, recent essay by a woman named Kimberly Strassel, Kimberly A. Strassel. If you don't know Kim Strassel, she's a very good writer. Um, She's been... um, She's been writing on the pages of the uh, Wall Street Journal for, I I don't know, maybe a decade. Uh, I think she may have started out as a a member of the uh, board, editorial board and more of an editorial board writer. Um, But she is now... um, uh, one of the columnists also. Uh, actually, she's been, let me look at this. Yeah, she's actually been with the Wall Street Journal in various forms, including uh, as a staff writer uh, from back in 1996 uh, and spent some years in London with the Wall Street Journal there. Um, and uh, so she's wonderful. She's wonderful to read. She's thoughtful. I don't always agree with her, but she's a serious, serious writer, a serious uh, person uh, and at the Wall Street Journal, which does uh, perhaps um uh, change my equation. I may not be rising in defense of big media because the Wall Street Journal's reporting is still off, I think, and is still dominated by globalists and the big, uh, big government, excuse me, big uh, business folks, but, uh, the individuals like her, uh, who are editorial voices, who are uh, opinion writers, as well as, uh, being, uh, a thoughtful, a person, uh, in terms of reporting. That's different. Um, she's a, uh, she's really smart. She's a Princeton grad. I knew that. I was wondering where, um, she went to school. So anyway, very impressive lady and uh, very worth reading. Well, she has a piece um, that captures really well in, a, I don't know, 1500 words, um, the problem that we've been the place we've been put uh, by the left. And the title is Sandbagging the Supreme Court, Sandbagging the Supreme Court by Kimberly Strassel. The subtitle is the best. The left's legal assault on Trump is a threat to the institution, dash, and that's by design. So Kim Kim Strassel then goes into this piece and in in the piece, she basically says, look, um, you know, the 2024 election, you're going to have this uh, Supreme Court having to decide a bunch of aspects. Um, You know, the court imposed gag order in the January 6th case is a question. Uh, Jack Smith's um, uh, uh, document uh, case has all sorts of questions. There's immunity uh, questions, privileges and immunity. There's going to be aspects of uh, the Georgia case that probably come up. And of course, in the last 10 days, we've had the three 
Actually, I just mentioned uh, a presidential privilege and immunity, but then the 1512 argument about the law being used inappropriately by the Department of Justice against individuals and Trump, and also then the Colorado state court decision to take him off the off the ballot. And what she goes back and talks about is the Supreme Court has had to do this in the past. In 2000, they had to do Bush v. Gore, right? This is what that, what happened. And her point is the left set this up. The left set this up and and did this on purpose. She references how they they dusted off the 20 year sentences of the 1512 from a the Sarbanes Oxley Act of 2002. And they said, you know, this is I will try this. And she goes into and more importantly, she says there was a day when the professional class, in particular prosecutors and lower court judges, cared about institutions as much as about winning. Not this crew. That's it right there. That's it right there. That that's and and the only thing I wish she would go on to say is where oh where are the lawyers who should be objecting to this? Who should be saying about their colleagues what she just said, and that there should be people up in arms in the legal community who are saying, you know, why is this happening? Why is this happening to the law that I love so much? Why is this happening to our system? It's we're supposed to be better than this. We're supposed to. uh, It's the wrong word, but it's kind of right. Police ourselves. And she says it very well. She says it very well. And and she captures it. It's not a lengthy um, uh, piece. um, And it's really worth uh, a read. So I, I will I will. It's behind a paywall, I think. So I have to find out if it's I'll find a link where it's available. But uh, it is really a valuable way of understanding uh, what is going on. And from someone who's a close observer, right, who's looked closely at all this stuff and has a sense of what's going on. So Kim Strassel, thank you for doing that. And again, more importantly, than anything, her opinion matters. I think she's right on her opinion, which she gets to the end and says, you know, this is these people don't seem to care about what's happening to our law, the law and everything else. But she marches through these very specific uh, examples so that you're not just talking. If you're if you're talking about this or thinking about it, you're not just talking or thinking about it out in the in the uh, in the wild in terms of you know your thoughts. You have a way to move through the cases that are happening and Again, to finish with this, as she says, the left's legal assault on Donald Trump and we the people, I'd, I'd add we the people, is a threat to the Supreme Court. And that's by design. And that's by design. That really feels right to me. That really feels like um, the the truth of the situation. And it really should trouble us all. So there you have it. All right. Kim Strassel, Wall Street Journal. Great job. Always worth reading her. And uh, we'll, we'll continue to do that. Uh, thank you, as always, to the great Mason Mohan, our associate producer and our producer of this program, uh, Ryan Height. Uh, they do a lot of work to get the, the segments up. Please visit uh, phyllisschlafly.com. Sign up for our daily email, The Daily Wink there and also visit uh, proamericareport.com proamericareport.com and sign up for that substack there in the new year i will especially be writing uh, coming out of there you're going to see it coming out hot so we will um, uh, talk to you soon and be back tomorrow ed martin pro america report three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's Dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.